0: Well, um, awesome worship. Thank you for your prayer, Evie. Um, there's only one thing I ask of you, that you do not graduate. us, Man, that's crazy. Crazy gifted. Well, we're in uh, Book of Philippians chapter 2 at the end. Um, so if you have your Bibles, you can open most of the scriptures will be on the screen as well. I'm Pastor John Black, if you're here visiting or if you're watching online for the first time, and uh, it's great to be here. I want to thank Pastor Jeremy for an excellent sermon last week prior to our midwinter conference. And, uh, oops, well, we all uh, want to meet Jesus one day and hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful uh, with the gifts I've given to you, the ministries I've entrusted into you, and uh, now come into my kingdom We all want to hear those things. We're going to be focusing on our ministries this morning, uh, that we may be called faithful servants when we stand before Jesus one day, and we all will, 100% guaranteed. We're going to unpack various aspects of ministry that the Apostle Paul focused on when he was dealing with Epaphroditus and Timothy, his disciples, and we're going to look at what faithful ministry looks like. Uh, First, uh, ministry must include discipleship. I know you've heard these words before, but let's unpack this word discipleship once again. You know, when Paul led Timothy to Christ on his first mission trip, uh, Timothy was a young man, and so Paul had the wisdom to leave him behind with his mother and grandmother in his hometown where he was able to be discipled and cared for. And not until like five or six years later did Paul invite Timothy with him to join him on his first missionary or second missionary journey. And we read in Philippians 2 um, that after Timothy had spent some time with Paul in this missionary journey, then Paul said this, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you, Church of Philippi, that I may also be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. By the time of this letter, Timothy had spent, again, some years with Paul doing mission work. And he had proven himself to be a faithful servant of the gospel with an attitude of genuine concern for others. He'd proven himself. Um, And we read in verse 22... But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. And I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. Paul said he he has served with me in the work of the gospel. Now I'm going to send him back to you to continue the work that... I began with you in planting this church. And I I will come as soon as I can then. And so basically Paul's saying he is now Christ's ambassador in my place. I'm handing the baton off to Timothy. He's going to return. He's going to care for you. He's going to encourage you, even as I have. So Paul had prepared Timothy, even as Jesus had prepared his disciples during those three years of his earthly ministry. And he produced himself in Timothy. You know, Jesus commanded all of us to go make disciples. This is a great commission. It's not the great suggestion. Go make disciples. Go reproduce yourself. And that is the most effective way in spreading my gospel on this earth. And he set a pattern of discipleship for us. And we see that Paul um, replicated what Jesus did as he poured into others as well here's the pattern when the first several months when they were with Jesus Jesus said hey just watch me I'm going to do it you watch me and then the next several months now I'm going to do it and you're going to do it with me we're going to do it together and then you remember after about a year and a half now I'm going to send you out in pairs and you're going to do it And I'm, I'm not going to go with you I do it or you do it and I'm going to watch and then we come back and debrief and celebrate And then finally, I'm going to ascend into heaven, and then you do it without me, without my physical presence. Of course, the Holy Spirit empowered them, Uh, but you do it without me. And then you do it and have someone else watch you or join you as well. And so that cycle repeats over and over again. And why is discipleship such an important issue to God and to Jesus? Well, you've heard the illustration of would you rather have $10,000 today or one penny today and, and double it for 30 days? Well, a lot of people say, give me that 10 grand, man. Well, that'd be foolish because after 30 days of, you know, doubling a penny, two cents, four cents, eight cents, by the end of 30 days, you'd have several thousand dollars. Um, like 21, you'd almost double it. If a gifted evangelist were to win 1,000 people to Christ every night for a year, That'd be 365,000 new converts because of this gifted evangelist. Divide that by 7.9 billion people on the face of this earth, then it would take how many years to win the whole population to Christ? If one evangelist won 10,000 people every day, it would take 21,644 years. But if one true disciple of Christ were able to win just one other person to Christ and teach them to do the same the next year, then those two would duplicate into four the following year, and then four into eight the next year. How many years would it take to win the 7.9 billion people to Christ? It'd be between 40 and 41 years. And that's only if we win one person and to disciple one person a year. If you have a group of two or three that you meet with and pour into, then it'd be much faster, it'd be like 15 years or so to win the entire planet to Christ. It's the power of multiplication. And that's why we have the ministry of Crescendo here. Uh, it's our conviction and the biblical conviction that no one retires from the work of the Lord. Oh, I did that when I was young, when my kids were young. no. Now you have the experience, now you have the maturity to pour in to those who are newer in the faith or younger in the faith. You have more responsibility now when you're in the crescendo age, in the retirement age. And this is what we encourage every person at Countryside to aspire to, as seen in our mission statement. It says, Countryside Covenant is a community of believers growing in the grace and truth of Jesus Christ as we worship, disciple, serve, and multiply. And Paul deals with three of these four values on the bottom, worship, disciple, serve, and multiply, in verses 19 through 24. In verse 20, he speaks of service. I have no one like him, Timothy, who will show genuine concern for your welfare. He served with me in the work of the gospel. That's service. Discipleship. He has served with me. In the work of the gospel. We serve together. I poured my life into him. And then he poured his life into you. That's multiplication. That's discipleship. Which leads to multiplication. In verse 23. I hope to send him to you now. He's going to come instead of me now. I multiplied myself. My question is. Who is your Timothy? When you serve the Lord. Do you serve alone? Or do you take someone with you to model, to pour into? Discipleship is a must if we're going to be faithful disciples. Secondly, Paul says that every ministry matters. Someone might say, man, I can't do that. I can't make disciples. I'm not like the Apostle Paul. The responsibility to go make disciples, that belongs to the paid professionals, you know, the pastors of this world. I'm certainly no Paul, I'm just an ordinary person. What can I do? Well, notice how Paul described Timothy's ministry again. In verse 20, I have no one like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Did you notice that Paul equated caring for others, showing concern for others... With the ministry of Jesus Christ. My question is can you show concern for someone else? Because in so doing, you're carrying out the work and the ministry of Jesus. There's nothing more important. And then, same with Epaphroditus in verse 25, another disciple. But I think it's necessary to send back to you, Epaphroditus, my brother, co worker, and fellow soldier who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you in his distress because you heard he was ill. And then we'll skip down to verse 29. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Who is this Epaphroditus? Who is he? We don't know much about him. Epaphroditus literally means the favorite of Aphrodites, who was a Greek goddess. So we know what kind of household Epaphroditus was raised in. Strike one. But then he was led to Christ during Paul's first missionary journey to Philippi, and his life was radically changed, and he did what he could do. He said, "I, I can volunteer. I, I, can, I can help Paul in some way. I'm available." Verse 25, I think it's necessary to send back to Epaphroditus, my brother, my co worker, and fellow worker, who is also your messenger, who was sent to take care of Paul's needs. Of my needs, he said. Epaphroditus stepped up to be a messenger to take care of Paul's needs by simply delivering a financial gift to Paul. That was his call. Here's the deal. Epaphroditus didn't consider himself a professional paid clergy. He didn't consider himself a gifted leader or a teacher. He was simply a humble servant of the gospel, a messenger, a mail carrier. And yet his task of a messenger was considered by Paul to be the work of Christ we see here. One doesn't have to be called into full-time ministry to do the work of Christ, to do a significant work of Christ and make a difference. Martin Luther popularized this brand new idea during the Protestant Reformation in the 1500s when he kind of coined the thought, the priesthood of all believers. No, there, there's not this hierarchy of clergy and priests up here and, and ladies and, and just common people down here. No, the priesthood of all believers. The word says in Hebrews, we are all priests. We are all called to use our gifts of ministry. So if someone serves in the church kitchen for a monthly meal or a funeral meal, or if someone sets up tables or tears down tables after a meal, then they should be honored by Jesus and by us as well. And Jesus will one day honor them and say, Thank you, well done, good and faithful servant. Every bit as much as people who stand behind pulpits like this, the priesthood of all believers. Every ministry matters. Don't call, count yourself short. Uh, thirdly, Paul emphasized that ministry must be balanced. We must receive, but then also give. In verse 25, I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, my co-worker, my fellow worker. Epaphroditus was a brother, a co-worker, and a fellow soldier. Epaphroditus came to encourage Paul as a brother. It was fellowship. Brother, you're my brother. I want a relationship with you. I want to fellowship with you. I want to encourage you. He set out to accomplish a specific job as a co-worker and that's that's being a disciple and then in in so doing he entered into this act of service into spiritual warfare as a fellow soldier together we're going to serve together and that's I guess you can reverse disciple and service there but you get the idea Epaphroditus was balanced and he was realistic about his ministry. Sometimes people decide to commit to a church because of the relationships, because they are longing for fellowship. And that's necessary. We need to be a family. Our mission statement says we are a community growing together in the grace and truth of Jesus Christ. But if we seek fellowship and relationships at the expense of serving and discipling, then our walk will be unbalanced. If I go to church primarily for what people can do for me, for what I can get out of the sermon, for how I can be inspired by the music, then it's all about me, right? It's all about me and my relationships. But that's only part of church. We're called and equipped to care for one another, to encourage one another. That we all may become mature in in the faith. At the end of the service, a guy approached the pastor and said, Pastor, today your sermon reminded me of peace and the peace and love of God. The pastor was thrilled. Really? Tell me why? Because it endured forever. The love of God endures forever. Harry Ironside relayed a story of a group that gathered for fellowship in their new ministry, uh, they created a sign in block letters that hung outside their meeting place, which read, Jesus only, but when a strong wind blew and knocked down some of the letters, and so instead of Jesus only, it said, us only. Their emphasis was on building friendships, and that was it, rather than mission and service. When anyone commits to a church... One of the first questions that they ought to ask is, for what kingdom purpose has God called me to this fellowship? How can I help spread the gospel here using my gifts? If it's simply to receive inspirational messages and new friendships, then we're unbalanced again. And we'll just simply be consumers rather than contributors and givers. We need to be balanced. Our mission statement is balanced. We are a community growing together in the grace and truth of Jesus Christ. That is what we receive. And when we're filled and receive, then we worship, we serve, we disciple, and we multiply. That is what we give. We need both receiving and giving. So ministry must be balanced. And then finally, ministry will be difficult. Before I move on here, um, I know a brand new member here, Alan over here. Alan said, hey, um, I'm available. How can can I be used? And Tom Stapleton had just retired from being the missions chair. And Alan said, I guess I could do that. I like mission trips. And so now Alan is going to lead our second mission trip since he's been here in about a year's time as our mission chair. So you exemplify that point of balanced ministry. So thank you, both of you. Ministry may be difficult. Ministry may be difficult. Paul and Epaphroditus experienced struggles in their ministries. And as a result, they had to grapple with real, raw, and painful emotions, not unlike everyday common people like us. Despite the fact that Paul and Timothy knew that they were chosen... And they were gifted, and they were dedicated, and they were obedient to God. Paul says this about Epaphroditus in verse 26. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Epaphroditus was distressed in his obedience. This word distressed means he was full of heaviness. It's the same word that's used of Jesus when he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night he was arrested when he was sweating drops of blood because of the stress. Not just because Epaphroditus was dealing with his own serious illness, which almost resulted in his death, but even more so because he knew that his illness was causing distress to his friends and family back in Philippi, some 800 miles away. And he was concerned for them who were concerned for him. In fact, Epaphroditus, it's clear that he was more concerned with the well-being of his friends back home in Philippi than he was for his own life. Have you ever been filled with heaviness for another person before, like a loved one? Yeah, we all have. We've all felt this heavy distress. E- even as simple as this, when our daughter studied in London for a half a year, uh, a couple years ago, through K State, we put her on the plane all by herself. She flew to London, not knowing a single soul, not knowing who would pick her up and uh, she didn 't know anyone there in this University of hertfordshire and and this was a glorified, really community college, is what it was, but it was large and it was kind of impersonal, and the dorms were really cold and and ugly and and so there she was as a single student. In her dorm room for the next two weeks just kind of feeling overwhelmed and Lynn and I were distressed for her as we're sat back home as she was just overwhelmed and not knowing what the heck she was doing in London I said well you could come home if you want to come on you could come home she said no I'm gonna stick it out ended up being a good experience for her but we were heavy in our hearts but that's nothing compared to what so many others go through Uh, like Pastor Eugene, who we as a leadership team supported with our faith funds about a year ago. I ran into Pastor Eugene again at the midwinter in Chicago this past week. And he's a uh, pastor, a third world pastor who is serving in Urbandale, Iowa at a church called Shalom Covenant Church. And they share with a Caucasian church, uh, the church building. Uh, But he cares for these five children Uh, And the youngest one you see is just an infant. Um, The mother died during childbirth. And then a, a couple weeks later, the dad was driving home from work. He got in a car wreck and he died, leaving these five kids orphaned. And so this church became their family now. Pastor Eugene, being the pastor, felt the greatest responsibility to care. They do have a grandmother who can't drive, who doesn't speak English. And so the kids can stay with them, but they're so dependent on uh, the pastor and and on all the people of of this church called Shalom Covenant Church. Pastor Gene put out a plea, and he raised several thousand, I mean, like $400,000, because it it made it on the news network in Iowa, Mason City area, and people just poured in these funds. So uh, these kids are being taken care of, though, but it's a heavy heart. Also, they have a school for adults teaching them how to English, read English, I mean, speak English and read in the English language and speak speak the English language. Also, they have an after-school children's program, but during COVID, it was every day, all day long because the parents had to go work and the kids came to the church. This is what they do in this church. Heavy hurts. Epaphroditus's obedience also came with a cost. In verse 30, he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help that you yourselves could not give. He responded to the call, and it came with a cost. To risk one's life is a gambler's term, if you are to look it up. In a Bible dictionary, it's a gambler's term. It, mean, it means that he risked everything for the sake of the gospel. He rolled the dice on this. In the early church, these early Christians were known as gamblers who risked their entire lives to care for the prisoners, to rescue those who were sick, especially those with infectious diseases. When the plagues hit the cities and they would hit often, the heathen would throw the dead bodies into the streets and they would flee in terror because they didn't want to catch the virus. The gamblers, the Christians, they buried, they retrieved the dead, they carried them and they buried them and gave them a decent burial. And those who were thrown to the side who were dying, the Christians would scoop them up, bring them home and nurse them back to health long before hospitals were in existence. And this is why the early church exploded, because they were so different. They risked their lives to show the love of Christ. Ministry can be difficult. It can be risky. We're told that the Apostle Paul struggled with great worry because of his health and well-being, because of Epaphroditus' health and well-being, who was 800 miles away from home. Paul felt the responsibility to take care of him. Verse 27, Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him to you, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. What? Paul is worried about having sorrow upon sorrow? This man of God, this great apostle? He's, he has great anxiety, and he wants less anxiety. The one who said, don't be anxious about anything. But but why did the Apostle Paul worry and stress about these things? Why didn't he just conjure up this faith that he exemplified earlier in the book of Acts? Why didn't he just pray in faith over Epaphroditus? Boom, you're healed, Epaphroditus. You are healed. Get up. Go do ministry. Acts 19 Apostle Paul, God did extraordinary miracles through the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him, Paul, were taken to the sick and the diseases and evil spirits left him. So if anyone wants to purchase um, this from me today, I just thought of that. um, Paul did have faith. He had great faith. But just because he prayed in faith... It didn't mean that Paul would experience everything that his heart desired. He knew that God would answer prayer, but he also knew that God could say yes immediately, like in Acts 19. Or he could say, no, I've got a defer, Or he could say, slow, I'm going to answer it, but it's going to be a process. Or he could say, grow. I'm not going to answer it in the way you expect at all, but you will grow from this. You'll become more like Jesus. Yes, no, slow, grow. God will always hear our prayer. He will always answer our prayers, but he may not always give us a yes that we desire. We're told in Hebrews 11, which is the faith hall of fame, if you want to study faith, read Hebrews 11, that many experience yes miracles, immediate miracles, during their lifetime because of their faith. We're told of, well, they're not immediate, but we're told of Noah, And how God rescued him and his family because of his faith. We're told of Abraham. We're told of Moses, how he divided the Red Sea. We're told of Jacob and Joseph and Rahab and women who have received their dead back uh, from their. uh, They received back their dead to life again. But the chapter concludes by citing others who equally exemplified great faith. In verse 35, there were others, though, who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. It's simply a lie from the pit of hell that suggests that if we pray in faith, God will always give us a yes. And if, for example, if we pray for someone's healing and they're not healed, then it was because I didn't have enough faith or that person didn't have enough faith or their family members didn't display enough faith. Oh, that, that is so shaming, And it's so condemning. And it's a lie from the pit of hell. In fact, Jesus taught in Matthew 17, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Uh, He doesn't demand great faith or large faith. He said, just as small as a mustard seed. And I suggest to you that if you fall on your face in complete and utter dependence and desperation before God, and you cry out to God, that is a mustard seed amount of faith that is capable of moving mountains because you're putting it all in the hands of God. God, not my will, but thy will be done. Ministry may be difficult. Well, one day we all want to hear, well done, Good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with the ministry to which I've called you. Welcome. Come into my paradise. And what would faithful ministry look like, according to Apostle Paul, in this short latter half of the chapter? It looks like that ministry should include discipleship. Every ministry matters. Ministry must be balanced, and ministry may be difficult, but God's faithful. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you uh, for these students who are leading us in worship, coming up on the stage now, and and for their faithfulness and obedience, and for how so many adults have modeled for them what it looks like to lead in worship and to to, uh, love you in this way. And now they're doing it. And so we thank you, Lord, that discipleship is happening here. Ministry, service, multiplication is happening I pray, Lord, that each of us will consider these, um, th- these thoughts about what faithful ministry looks like. And we'll take just one of these things and apply it to our lives this week. And begin to move closer to you and to walking according to your will, I pray. And as always, empower us by your spirit, Lord. We cannot do this alone. We need your spirit to work in us and through us as we obey you. In Jesus' name, amen.